Today's scripture reading is from John 14, verses 1 through 3. It can be found on page 763 of your pew Bible. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you can also be where I am. This is the word of the Lord. I didn't do this last hour, but I just, as I stood there and sang and uh, praised God with you, I started to wonder, you know, if I could get to heaven right now, <laughs> what, was, what would I mainly, and I'm not just trying to be escapist here, but what would I love to get away from here? And what would I love to get to with heaven? And I, and I wonder what's on your mind, like, what is it right now where you're thinking, oh, I can't wait for heaven because of this, you know? Is it stuff going on in the world? Is it stuff going on in our country? Is it stuff going on in your life, whether it's, gosh, relational or financial or job-wise or school-wise? Whatever it might be, it could be an illness or an illness that someone you love is facing, you know? Uh, I just wonder uh, what it might be. And I hope I will continue to have the attitude of uh, our friend Brian Bonds, uh, who continues to remind me, I'm probably going to get there before you, so eat that. That's what he says, which I so appreciate and love his uh, incredible spirit about all that. But be thinking about that. I, w- I would invite you to be thinking about, boy, this is one aspect of heaven and, and one aspect of earthly life that will be so redeemed once we uh, arrive at the point of heaven together. And, and I so look forward to that. So just be thinking about that as we talk which in some bizarre way leads us to Rolling Stone magazine in a 2014 when Stephen King was interviewed. You know Stephen King. He wrote It. Uh, he wrote um, uh, Stand By Me and a lot of other themes. And one of the major motifs of his books really is, is death. And so the writer of Rolling Stone said, you know, do you hope to get to heaven? And what he said was, I don't want to go to the heaven that I learned about when I was a kid. To me, it seems boring. The idea that you're going to lounge around on a cloud all day and listen to guys play harps, I love that one. I miss stress. Um, But he doesn't want that. Well, I don't want that either. I'll let that one sink in for just a minute. Okay, very good. Uh, I don't want that either. And I think it's it's unfortunate when we take unbiblical imagery that's kind of mixed with cartoons and and not-so-great teaching and uh, other facets, comic books or whatever, that, that make us have this uh, just frou-frou understanding of what heaven is. And, and it's not that way at all. Um, it's, it's so much more than that. It's so much better than that. You know, y- you and I are in a challenging, stressful time in the world, no doubt. So it's, it's right for you and me to muse on the goodness of how heaven is going to be, which is why we're calling this Images of Glory. And I do think it's important us to, to recognize the reality of heaven before we talk for the next two weeks about the reality of hell. So, so I think it's important that we muse on just how great it's going to be. You know, the, the New Testament writers did everything that they could to try to articulate just how amazing heaven is going to be. None of them were completely successful at all, and I think they would be the first to tell you that. In fact, you can combine all of the images that you find in the New Testament of heaven, combine them into one massive definition of what heaven is, and it's even better than that. And that's made clear 
by Jesus and all the other New Testament writers. It's hard to capture just how good it's going to be. You know, it, it's so good, if we could really grasp the reality of it, we, wouldn't, we couldn't help but say, sign me up, ready for it. So what's it like? Again, here are some images of heaven that we find in the New Testament. You can look at your outline if you want or follow along on the screen. But, but I, I just couple them all together in uh, uh, three distinct ways that the New Testament describes heaven. So first of all, heaven is familiar. Heaven is familiar. Let's look at John 14, 2 and 3 again, where Jesus said, There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. So again, what's beautiful about heaven is heaven is as familiar as home. Think of a time when you were far away from home. Mission trip, some kind of uh, uh, military uh, uh, responsibility like we were talking about in the first hour with uh, Doug. Uh, and, and just how homesick you were so ready to get back to that which was familiar and the people whom you love so much with whom you are most familiar and think about how great it was when you finally got back you know no matter how great the experience was always good to get back home and that's really a beautiful depiction of what heaven is we're homesick for it even now though we don't know fully what it's going to be like and the source of that homesickness is very interesting Uh, It's also been called a garden before. Let's look at Luke uh, chapter 23. Uh, This is when the thief on the cross turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. And we have talked about this before, paradiso. In the Greek, Jesus said, you will be with me in the paradiso means garden. You'll be with me in the garden. And I love that. That's a beautiful image of what heaven is. Because again, we've been wanting, yearning, to get back to the garden from the beginning. It's not like we were actually in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of Genesis, but we still long to get there. We know the reality of it, and we want to get there. I think it was Eddie Vedder, uh, who was with a group called Pearl Jam, a band, and he said, uh, you know, I'm homesick for the home I never had. And again, there's a sense of homesickness for that which we've never seen or been to fully, and yet we know it's there, and we just yearn to get there. We're homesick for it, and we're homesick for the garden, which is so cool because, you know, one of the first pages of Scripture, there's a depiction of the garden, which we had to leave, right, because of our own tatedness, our own sin. But you go to the very last page of all the Bible in Revelation 22, what's the very last image that you find in the New Testament at the end of the Bible? It's a garden, and it's a garden where there is no curse. It's untainted, it's pure, it's eternal. So it's familiar. We get back to the garden, and it's no longer cursed. And because of this, we who confess Christ will be together. You know, it's a wonderful reunion with whom uh, we confess faith in Christ. I I think of Sheldon Van Alken, who was a student of C.S. Lewis's over at Oxford, and they were very dear friends. I think it was Van Alken who wrote a wonderful book called A Severe Mercy, and some of it has to do with some correspondence he had uh, with C.S. Lewis toward the end of Lewis's life. But they went to a pub to go eat, eat their last meal together and uh, before he was going to finish up his doctorate and move back to the United States. And so they uh, got together and had a wonderful meal together. And, and he said later on it was almost appropriate that we started talking about life after death 
because we didn't know if we were going to see each other again. And he said we didn't really acknowledge that. But it was interesting because after the, the dinner, they walked outside, and it was a very busy street uh, that they were uh, looking at. And they were on the sidewalk. And C.S. Lewis turned to Sheldon and said, I shan't say goodbye. We will meet again, surely. And he crossed the street, and, and Sheldon said, I knew that he would wheel around like he would often do and yell something at me. And sure enough, when he crossed the busy street, Lewis turned around with a grin on his face. He said, besides, Christians never say goodbye. And they really don't. We who are family never will really say goodbye because of the reality of heaven. Now, I've talked about it being familiar, and really this, this dovetails right off of that, which secondly is heaven is together. It's together. You talk about familiar, you see the word family there. It's about us being together. Uh, we get to experience the rest of heaven together if you go to Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. It's not just a rest that you get to have in isolation on a faraway island all by yourself. No, there is a rest. A special rest waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. And more ultimately, it's talking there about heaven itself. But it'll be a place of rest for us together. You know that heaven is often referred to as the holy city. Well, city (laughs) implies, doesn't even imply. It means there will be community there. There will be all of us who are God's people. Revelation 21 talks about us entering the holy city. You think of Hebrews 11 as well, Hebrews 11, 14 through 16, where it says God's people are looking forward to a country they can call their own, and he's comparing it to the Israelites who were trying to find a country for their own, but now he's eternalizing it, if you will. If they had longed for the country they came from, they would have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. This is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Again, a city where you and I will be together. And, and actually, when you think about your understanding of heaven, uh, don't think about it as just a faraway, distant place, destination from here. Again, I so appreciate the writings of N.T. Wright on this, particularly his book called Surprised by Hope. He says this, in the preaching of Jesus, heaven refers not to Porsche modem destiny, not to escape this world into another one, but to God's rule coming on earth as it is in heaven, which we pray every Sunday. God will be joining earth and heaven together. Do you remember the old hymn, This Is My Father's World? Do you remember that? Last stanza is what? This is my Father's world, oh let me ne'er forget, that though the wrong seems off so strong, in other words, while injustice in the world seems to be overwhelming, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Now you're going to have to help me here. Jesus who died shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven, what? Two more words. Be one. Be one. Earth and heaven coming together. Earth and heaven as one. In other words, all of us being together as such. This is my Father's world, and we will all be together. Now that means our future life has familiarity to it, and that there's togetherness, earth and heaven being one. But there's also a fabulous twist to all this. It's not just you and your loved ones whom, whom you've known who are familiar to you. No, no, more than that. It's not just strangers, you know, who are there that you don't know. Uh, Scripture makes it very clear that when you get there, people are already going to know who you are and welcome you in, whether you know them or not. In other words, you might feel like a stranger to them, but no, you will be greeted in, in what John Claypool would call a glad reunion, which is really cool. It's a reunion 
of all people, and I will say all things. It's a reunion and, and re, uh, re- reconciling of all people and all things. By that I mean all creation. Gospel of Mark says Jesus came to preach the gospel to all creation, human and non-human. Yeah, I'm going somewhere kind of interesting here. Romans 8 talks about all creation groaning. In fact, I'm going to read that to you in a minute. Colossians talks about Christ reconciling himself, himself to the world. I know we don't have it on the screen, but let me read from Romans chapter 8. Where it says, against its will, all creation was subjected to curse, but with eager hope, the creation, that's all creation, not just us. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, unlike creation, as a foretaste of future glory. For as long as our bodies to be released from sin, we long to be released from suffering. Now, what am I saying here? Uh, Paul makes, he says, not only are people going to be redeemed, and reconciled to God. All creation will, to where all creation that we know of will not decay. (laughs) Just this past week, somebody asked me who has a a pet that means a lot to that person. They said, am I going to see, you know, in heaven? To me, it's very clear. The New Testament makes it clear that, yes, that's true. If you're wondering that, now I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to get a raise because I've passed a warm fuzzy your way. You know, it's, I think it's the truth. I think it's very clear biblically that all creation will be redeemed and that which dies and decays here, including ourselves, but including all creation, will one day be reconciled and reunited, which is cool. So our blind as a bat beagle uh, with, with uh, his diabetes, I'm, I'm not worried about it. See him, see him here, see him later too. Okay, and we'll all be welcomed. Again, let me stress that. You might think you're going to go to heaven and, you know, you're going to recognize some people but not others. But what's going to be cool is people are going to recognize you, those who are already there and redeemed and have fullness of knowledge of what all this is about. You'll be known by people whom you knew in life and people whom you didn't know in life. And it reminds me of, of something Leonard Modenow wrote a few years ago in Wall Street Journal uh, when he did, he had written a memoir on, if I say the Yankee Clipper, they might know who I'm talking about. Come on. Sports people, come on. Who? You might know the Yankee Clipper? Batter for the Yankees? Who said it? Joe DiMaggio. Who got it right? Okay, y'all can leave. Joe, y'all can go. Okay. Joe DiMaggio. Uh, Cool story about him and his son, Joe Jr. here. Uh, Joe DiMaggio went to uh, fight in World War II, thought it was his duty, so he actually gave up his career for a brief time, went and fought in the war, and then uh, came back. And it was 1945, and it was mid-season, so he couldn't really, you know, re-enter the team. There were some things he had to deal with first. And so he decided to go to a game and take Joe Jr. to the game as well. And so they kind of snuck onto the mezzanine of Yankee Stadium. And he was like, you know, I hope nobody sees us. We'll just kind of be up here and try and be as quiet as we can. I just want it to be a time with me and my son, my Joe Jr. And uh, sure enough, some fan saw him. And, and started chanting, Joe, Joe, Joe DiMaggio, Joe, Joe, Joe DiMaggio. And people, other people started saying, it's like, oh my gosh, Joe DiMaggio's back. This is incredible. And just the chanting just became a roaring kind of chant and people going crazy. And, and DiMaggio was kind of flustered at first because he thought, I just want to be here to enjoy the game with 
Joe Jr., and, and, but then he thought, no, this is great, and I'm very touched by this. And he wanted to see if his son, you know, Joe Jr., had gotten the meaning of all this and, and, and really saw, you know, what a wonderful tribute that was. And Joe Jr. did realize what a wonderful tribute it was because he looked up and said, see, Daddy, everybody knows me, which I thought was great. <laughs> but because you're family with Christ, everybody is going to know you, and you will be welcome. What kind of a, you know, almost like walking into a place where everyone is just welcoming you with open arms. It's got to be an amazing, amazing reality we will experience. Well, heaven is familiar, and it's together, and finally, it's secure, Revelation 21, 3, and 4 has that marvelous passage. I heard aloud from the throne saying, God's home is now among us, his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone, how long? Forever. Forever. No more pain, no more violence, no more injustice, no more poverty, no more anxiety or stress or depression, no more confusion, no more frustration. It's all, all gone. In fact, eternity itself means timelessness. It includes forever, but it really means timelessness. In other words, we're going to be beyond time and space. Therefore, we don't need to worry about uh, schedules and to-do lists. And de- we'll have things to do, no doubt, but it's not like we're, we're hemmed in by these earthly commitments and deadlines, and responsibilities, and the like. Again, I say, sign me up for that. It's something we're given, by the way, for free, and it's something unearned, this incredible, profound security that we don't deserve. You know, one way you might become more secure, let's say financially or otherwise, is when a loved one dies, and then you do what? You inherit something from them, whether it's funding or whatever else, and it makes you more secure. Is it something that you definitely deserve? No, not always. But it's a free gift to you because of a death. Well, think of the death on the cross and what we were given because of that. That's why Peter, in 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4, says what? All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless what? Inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. I love that. Beyond the reach of change and decay. It's there for us. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. But because of his death on the cross, that's what we receive if we only ask for it. Is it something we're entitled to? Are you kidding me? Is it something we have coming to us as if we deserve it? Absolutely not. But it's a free gift of grace. And when we receive it, we realize that it's also a victory. You talk about security with no more, gosh, strife and war and division and the like. It's also a victory, ultimately a victory over death, as you know. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 through 57. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in what? Victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For, the, for sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us the victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all, it's all this and more. It's ultimate victory, ultimate absence of disease and heartache and, and, and brokenness and everything that's so impure. It's the absence of all of that and so much more. 
I've enjoyed coming to read uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen. Anybody heard of Fulton Sheen? I think he died probably in the 60s or so. Really wonderful writer, and he writes a lot about heaven. And one of the last things he wrote was a sermon of sorts, really a lecture, but to me it's a good sermon, and it's called See You in Heaven. And I just love what he wrote. He said, think of a great moment in life when you really enjoy the thrill of living. Then go back and think of some great moment when somebody told you the truth or you made a study of a great mystery and you finally understood it. Then go to another moment of your life when you had a great ecstasy of love and you wanted it to go on and on and on. Now, suppose you could take this moment of life, raise it up to a focal point where it became the far deepest truth, Lift it to infinity until it became the moment of the ecstasy of truth, and take that moment of love and eternalize it forever. Well, he concludes, that gives some dim suggestion of what heaven is. It is perfect life. It is perfect truth. It is perfect love. It's that amazing. It's that wonderful And it's hard for us even to conceive of. And even the New Testament writers were saying, I can't tell you just how great it's going to be. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, what did Paul say? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We're going to try to give it to you as best we can with all these images, all these different angles, but we can't even capture it because of how great it's going to be. And we'll get to experience it together. Uh, A lot of folks in the first service understood what I was talking about here. Years ago when I was interim pastor, and I think it was at Southside Baptist, uh, on the South Side. that's why it's called Southside Baptist, I guess. Uh, but we talked about Amazing Grace, because I said something, some remark about there's Amazing Grace and then every other song, because I just think it's, it's just so incredible. And we started talking about what is your favorite verse of that song. How many of y'all know that song? How many of y'all could almost sing it by memory? How many of y'all could do that? Okay. And, and, and I said, what's your favorite? And, and I thought, for any of you, and I was talking mainly to senior adults, let me say that, and, and it was like, any of you is it, you know, I once was lost, but now I found I was blind, but now I see. Nobody took that one, okay? T'was grace that taught my, the second verse, t'was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear and grace my fears relieved, right? Is that right? Oh, the hour I first believed, well... My, my version isn't bad. No, I like that one better. Uh, the hour I first believed. No takers on that one. Now, and I told them, I said, now for me it's the third one. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Y'all help me with this. Tis grace has brought, hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. I thought, y'all got to love that. I mean, getting us through all this stuff, and once we get there, <laughs> nobody. They're like, nah, really? Okay, how many of y'all know the last verse here? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. All these hands went up. I was like, really? I said, really? And finally, the the wise old sage uh, down there at uh, Southside stood up and he said, buddy, the older you'll get, the more you'll like that last verse. (laughs) I thought, that's cool. And I see what he's saying. Because I think the older you live and the more you, you know that probabilities are getting closer you know, you just really get to muse on how amazing this is all going to be. How amazing it's all going to be. All the verses are good, but that's a good one when you muse about just how marvelous. 
one of the great graces of heaven, obviously, is that God wants everybody to be there. Please know that. Horrible theology to say that God wants to send people to hell. He wants everybody to be redeemed. He wants everybody to be saved. Scripture makes that very clear. This is just two verses. 1 Timothy 4, 2. God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. 2 Peter. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. Now, as Greg Boyd, who was lecturing here last week as the Holly Hall lecture, you know, uh, God did, chose not to create lobotomized believers. It's a great way of putting it. <laughs> We're not just automatons who just automatically will espouse faith in him. No, God loves us so much, get this, that he offers us the freedom even to reject him. He hopes that you don't. But that is the degree of uncondi- that's unconditional love. That's the degree of unconditional love he offers to us. What does he want you to do to choose him? That's what he desperately wants. But it's really up to you, and, and I want to close just with that. You and I have to make that choice. His grace extends to you, and you have the freedom to choose or reject it, but he wants you to make that choice, and you must. Really, for you and me who have the degree of knowledge of Scripture and the gospel and of heaven and of hell, we're accountable to that. Not to choose, I would argue, for those of us who have this much knowledge, not to choose is to choose. I'll leave you with what St. Isaac the Syrian, he was a 7th century monk and mystic, he put it this way, prepare your heart for your departure. If you are wise, you will expect it every hour. Now, he's not saying for you to stand around and feel like, oh, could I die in the next hour? No. He's saying live as if the departure is going to be soon and you can live more radically for Jesus, be a more fearless believer, more fearless missionary, but all the more what he's saying is you've got to make that call and realize it could be any time, so are you ready? Whatever the hour, are you ready? Great news. God doesn't want any of us to perish. question for you is are you prepared <laughs> Are you prepared to be where he wants you to be? Your call. Let's pray together. Thank you so much, O God, for the wonders of your grace and for that which awaits us. Thank you that you were so full of love that when you created this world, you couldn't help but want others to share it with you because you are you are love. You are unconditional love. And thank you for the opportunity you give us through your son Jesus that in spite of our lack of love for you so often, our rebellion against you, our mistrust of you, our dishonoring of you, in spite of all that, still you offer us the amazing gift of your heavenly kingdom. We give you thanks for that. We pray that if anyone is in here and hasn't made that decision, that they would, as the old preachers say, become under conviction through the power of your Spirit and make a decision to follow you. Thank you so much, O oh God, for what awaits us. But until then, help us to bring your kingdom of heaven to people who so desperately need it here and who need to hear this news, that they might make that informed decision that they must in order to be with you. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.